Sports Scripts with DCROM is brought to you by Top Choice Athletics, the number one company in customized sports equipment and apparel, specializing in baseball, basketball, soccer, volleyball, tennis, golf, and of course, football. All apparel and equipment can be customized according to your needs. To stay tuned to exciting sports news and deals, follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Top Choice Athletics and follow them on Twitter at RealTCAthletics. Check out their awesome products and order online today from TopChoiceAthletics.com. Welcome back to Sports Coach with D. Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromelo. Happy New Year, everybody. And... Since the new year has arrived, the NFL playoffs are finally here with wildcard weekend about to commence. And my friend Hal, I don't think I've ever been excited for a wildcard weekend like this one. Have you? Just the matchups are just pretty evenly matched all across the board. Yeah, there's not a single dud in any of these matchups. And, you know, looking at the recent years, you know, there was always that, you know, think back to that Jacksonville-Buffalo game last year, which was dreadful on offense. And, you know, um, some of these games we've seen in the past on Wild Card Weekend. But, no, there's there's not a bad game in the bunch. And, and we're looking at a very entertaining weekend. Oh, we most certainly are. There are no clear favorites to win in either game, all, either four of them. That is for sure. It's a... You know, two evenly matched division rivals in one AFC game, two teams that played a close and exciting game just a few weeks ago in the other matchup. You've got the defending uh, Super Bowl champions going up against the worst to first team and Seattle and Dallas, two teams with great his great recent history, both hard nosed defensive teams now. Uh, it, it's just a great matchups across the board. I'm so excited for these games. I'm so excited for these games as well, but before we discuss them, I want to discuss uh, two things. The first is our Week 17 takeaways, and here's mine. Kirk Cousins, unfortunately, is looking like a colossal waste of money. Yes, that offensive line did not help him, but he didn't respond to my challenge. As a matter of fact, he it seemed like he didn't even come close to responding to my challenge. He was uh, panicked the entire game against the Bears. He just didn't deliver when the Vikings needed him, need him to the most all year. And those $84 million are definitely looking like a waste right now because Kirk Cousins has still not proven that he could beat high-quality opponents. Yeah, that's a great point, David. That was the knock uh, on him in Washington is when the spotlight got too bright – he wilted. And again, for Minnesota, like you said, $84 million doesn't seem to get you what it used to in the past. And, uh, you know, it was just a, a just a terrible, terrible offensive performance against the team Chicago that really you know didn't have anything to play for by midway through the first quarter. You said it, Hal, uh, and the Bears just uh, played like they didn't even care. They weren't even paying attention to the scoreboard there, I say. And speaking of the Vikings, a former Viking had a golden opportunity last weekend to um, sell himself as the potential future franchise quarterback for a team in free agency, but he failed as well. And Teddy Bridgewater doesn't look like the future New Orleans, and he still doesn't look like a guy worth spending a lot of money on in free agency. Yeah, it was very, very surprising. You know, we had talked about that game, and I had really expected Bridgewater to have a, a big game and, and show what he can do to all his potential suitors. And, and you know, 
and maybe it was just a bad game and that works out well for New Orleans and they're able to sign him for and save a few million dollars. But that performance throughout the game um, just never got that offense in sync, never looked comfortable, costly turnover. You know, there was help in the running game. It wasn't like it was non-existent for New Orleans, but Bridgewater, you know, kind of played like a quarterback who looked like he hadn't played much in the last couple of years. Uh, He definitely looked the part on that, Hal. And uh, what was your major takeaway from Week 17? Well, I mean, I think the the biggest surprise and the, and the biggest story is what's coming out of Pittsburgh right now. And, you know, week 17, not having Antonio Brown uh, playing in what was a must-win game for the, those Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, you know, they did win the game. Things didn't break the way they needed them to otherwise. But then the news coming out that, You know, there's not just one disgruntled star and Le'Veon Bell coming out of Pittsburgh. There are two now. And Antonio Brown, one of the best wide receivers on the planet, unhappy with his situation in Pittsburgh. And this is turning into a messy, messy, messy offseason for the Pittsburgh Steelers. It definitely looks like the end of this run for the Steelers is coming quicker than you anticipated. I I saw this... uh, and uh, coming uh, quicker, but not in this fashion. The fact that Antonio Brown is disgruntled is alarming. Uh, do you think the Steelers should definitely do all they can to trade him for the highest possible price before they make a decision on his status for the team for 2019? Oh, boy, that's a tough one because, you know, I mean, the, the cap hit on getting rid of him, you know, I, I just can't imagine a team with $20 million in dead money for one player. But at the same time, you look at it and you say, how is he going to fit into that locker room? You know, there's reports that, you know, young star Juju Smith-Schuster getting the team MVP award was kind of a uh, he took that as a slap in the face. Oh, and that's my God. Part of the, you know, I mean, that's just <laughs> grow up. Come on. You know, you should be supporting your teammates. And but, you know, you saw that you saw that dysfunction in the locker room, you know, with Le'Veon Bell, where, you know, these players are all part of the union. They should be rooting for their teammates to get as much money as they can. And, you know, the way they looted his locker in midseason when he wasn't coming back and the, the way some of the offensive linemen spoke out against him, it, it's a very, very strange situation there in Pittsburgh. And what looked like, you know, they were set for another four or five years with those trips of you know brown and bell and and roethlisberger there now it's i don't know you you almost have to make a move with him in order to uh you know appease the rest of that locker room and and not have a powder keg when you come back uh at for for training camps and off-season workouts that could be a real real mess once again which already torpedoed their season this year Oh, it definitely did, but it's kind of a shocker. I just never thought of Antonio Brown as this kind of a teammate, given how hard he works, uh, how he was able to fight his way from a sixth-round draft pick afterthought to arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL since Jerry Rice, for crying out loud. And Jerry Rice is one of the top two players of all time, in my opinion. So it just surprises me that Antonio Brown has turned out to be more selfish of a player than I thought he was. 
Yeah, I mean, I I never saw the selfishness, you know, uh, on the field. He's one of the best blocking uh, uh, blocking wide receivers down the field. I mean, how many big runs did he, you know, spring? How many blocks did he throw for for Juju Smith-Schuster, you know, in the last two years to get him that extra yardage uh, to pump up his stats and help the team out? And, you know it just seemed to come out of nowhere. And is this a long festering problem? Is this something Pittsburgh can work out? It's going to be a interesting couple of weeks here as we get into the off season. Well, the eyes of the NFL world are going to be on Pittsburgh as soon as this season wraps up. Indeed. Uh, as a matter of fact, Pittsburgh might be getting the most attention uh, from national media because of these uh, issues that are plaguing their locker room. And now let's move on to the other biggest story outside the playing field around the NFL right now, and that is the coaching carousel. Eight teams have head coaching vacancies, and Adam Schefter said a couple days ago that none of these teams are close to hiring somebody at this point, which is kind of expected, but um, if a uh, things don't start dropping in a couple of days, then this could be a longer than usual search um, for many of these teams. And let's start with the New York Jets, who cannot screw this up, given the fact that they have Sam Darnold on a rookie contract and a lot of money to spend in free agency to build around him. And a hot candidate that they are pursuing is Baylor head coach Matt Rule. And given college football's increasing influence on NFL offensive scheming, this might be the best possible hire for the Jets. What do you think? Oh, I I think it's a great idea for them. They need to go outside of the comfort area and find a way to, you know, get some energy, enthusiasm. You know, it's going to it's New York. So, you know, it's what the media is going to be like to deal with. But a, a fresh voice, a fresh face. The Jets need to do something. They've been mired for so long in the mud, looking up at the Patriots in the AFC East and stepping outside of their comfort zone, going to the college ranks. I think it's a great idea. Rule's been a been a great leader from everything that I've heard about him and and his experience in uh, Baylor. And he was at Temple before that, turning that team around as well. So he certainly seems like he... Um, has worked his way into, you know, a spot here in the NFL. And for the Jets, you know, you your number one thing is you're a 21-year-old quarterback, and you've got to get somebody in there that can relate to him and can push him and get him to that next level and take advantage of the, that great athletic talent that he has. Oh, absolutely. And outside-the-box thinking is a must in today's NFL. And we saw two outside-the-box hires in recent years that have so far paid off big time with the Rams with Sean McVay and the Bears with Matt Nagy. Exactly. And and that's where, you know, hey, the coach, you know, he isn't too young. He's exactly what's needed. And these younger coaches, a lot of them you'll see in those situations, they're smart enough to package in an experienced assistant coach who's had head coaching experience to help guide them and pick up some of the nuances that they might miss. And it's hard to argue with that success there of those two franchises. Indeed. And should Matt Rule get the job with the Jets, uh, Adam Gase, uh, who was just fired by the Dolphins, the first two teams that reached out to him, uh, and it makes sense given the fact that they have uh, potential franchise quarterbacks, were the Jets and the Cardinals. And should Matt Rule indeed be hired by the Jets, do you think Adam Gase should accept the Cardinals job if they offer it to him? 
I think he will. You know, I mean, Josh Rosen is a, an intriguing quarterback to work with there. It's a complete rebuild, so he's not going to have that excessive pressure uh, as long as his team doesn't fold up like they did this year for Wilkes, who clearly seemed over his head at times and uh, couldn't handle the job. But but Gase has that experience. He still has that quarterback whisperer, um, you know, reputation there and young enough to make an impact. I think if he doesn't end up in Arizona, he's probably an offensive coordinator somewhere next year, um, which may or may not be a better fit for him. But for teams looking at him as a head coach, I think Arizona is a very good landing spot for him and his offensive mind. I agree 100%. We are simpatico there. There's your simpatico alert there. And let's move on to the team that is arguably the best of the head coaching vacancies, as in the best situation. And I think that's the Cleveland Browns, don't you? Oh, head and shoulders above there. There's a team that's on the upside, has their franchise quarterback, has, you know, arguably the best under 25-year-old talent in the league right now. I think, you know, Cleveland has gone from the laughing stock to the most desirable. Uh, yes, and uh, if that under 25 talent is Miles Garrett, uh, he's just, he's almost as important to the future of this team as Baker Mayfield. They're the two cornerstones. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, Garrett is the that unquestioned superstar on the defensive side. And, you know, if you're you're looking at it from Cleveland, you've got a lot of options there with Freddie Kitchens already in house. But, you know, you're going to have these coaches, uh, offensive minds lining up for the chance to work with Baker Mayfield after what he's shown in his rookie season. You said it, Hal, and it has been rumored for several months uh, by NFL insider Benjamin Albright, who you can follow on Twitter at AlbrightNFL, that Mike McCarthy would eventually become the new head coach of the Cleveland Browns. And given his previous relationship with John Dorsey, uh, when McCarthy was head coach at Green Bay in his in the, the early years, Dorsey was uh, in the scouting department there. And plus, Baker Mayfield likely only going to get better. Uh, how good of a fit would that be with uh, Mike McCarthy potentially going to Cleveland? You know, Mike McCarthy did get a a lot of criticism on his way out the door in Green Bay. And, and some of that, you know, I don't know if it was really as warranted as it was with, you know, saying that his offensive system was stale. There were a lot of the same concepts that were run in that offense. I think the resistance there was from Aaron Rodgers and not Mike McCarthy's willingness to change with the times and ignite that offense. So it's kind of a, you know, I I think he's a very viable candidate. I think it's an excellent fit for the reasons you outlined and the comfort level with Dorsey, which goes a long way for bringing in the kind of talent that the GM and the head coaches are both comfortable for. Because for a lot of these teams that are making these moves, I think some of that, a lot of that is the disconnect between the GM and the head coach. And some of these GMs are skating free. Why Why are they being let? off the hook some of these guys should be up for their job steve keim john elway mike mccagden you know jason light in tampa bay these guys are getting to pick their second third head coaches um excuse me you're the one that's shopping for the groceries if they're not able to make anything out of those ingredients maybe we should be looking at who's shopping in some of these situations 
100% correct and on point there, Hal. I just don't understand why a lot of these general managers aren't getting fired. And uh, Chris Greer, yes, he under he served under Mike Tannenbaum these past uh, few seasons, but now he uh, gets more authority. But Chris Greer, uh, I'm not sure he deserves to stay in Miami either. Yeah, I, I expected a, a complete, you know, Tannenbaum out made sense. Gase, uh, you know, he really seemed to have lost the team there at the end. I can understand the moving on from him there. But but Chris Greer rising up from the ashes and, and taking over as the total and complete control of that front office. I You know, that looked like something out of WWE with one of those surprises, you know, running out of the locker room and into the ring. It was it was very surprising. Very surprising indeed. And a beautiful analogy there, Hal. And now <laughs> let's uh, move down the list of these coaching vacancies and let's determine the best fit for each opening. Uh, the Browns, would you say it's Mike McCarthy or would you think there's someone better? No, I, I think McCarthy's the best fit there. I think, you know, with the front office, with his ability to work with the, a young quarterback with an open mind, I think that that's an excellent fit right there for Cleveland. And how about the Dolphins? <sighs> Dolphins? No, oh boy. You know, that's a that's a tougher job because again that you're getting into that tough power structure but and you don't even have your quarterback now you know the the ownership group seems to be the one that was moving away from Ryan Tannehill and that was some of that disconnect with Adam Gase um you know I would imagine that they're going to go with somebody who's a little bit more of an offensive mind. But again, they seem to be meeting with a lot of uh, defensive coaches as well, which is which is kind of surprising there as well. So, ah, boy, you know, it, it's going to have to be somebody who's very flexible with the ownership group there, somebody that can step in. And again, maybe this is a situation where Miami should be following the Jets lead and looking to the college ranks and seeing if they can get a, a fresh young mind in there. Uh, that is definitely an option they should explore. But if they do go with the defensive mind, uh, uh, the hottest name on the market in that department is easily Vic Fangio. Oh yeah. Vic Fangio. Um, I, I believe they're also talking to Dennis Allen, who's done a great job with that Saints defense oh, and uh, yes. really turned that team around as well. Um, you know, I, I just hope they don't go and, and pull, pull a retread, something like Jim Caldwell or something like that, where they're just, you know, going back to the well and and bringing in somebody that ownership would be comfortable with. Uh, I like the idea of seeing them, you know, uh, Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy has gotten a lot of attention as well. He might be somebody to bring some of those Andy Reid concepts down to South Beach, and that could make things really exciting for Miami as well. Yes, and Miami is likely going to be in the quarterback market this offseason, whether in free agency or in the draft. And moving on to the coaching vacancy that is surrounded by the most discombobulation out of all of them, the Broncos. Because if you look at the Broncos right now, uh, the main reason why John Elway is surviving is because the Broncos have no ownership right now. Because obviously Pat Boland stepped down several years back when he was uh, diagnosed with Alzheimer's and they put a an ownership trust in his place until uh, they determined somebody was uh, ready to assume the ownership duties. But uh, members of the uh, 
Bolin's family, including his brother and some of the children, are suing the Broncos to break up that trust and and hurry up a decision. And not only that, they are still yet to find a stadium naming rights partner. This is easily the most discombobulated franchise in the NFL right now, you can argue. And the Broncos, but when it comes to on the field, they have to acknowledge they have to rebuild. They are more than one year away from truly competing for a playoff spot again. Uh, they remind me of the Bears after 2014 when uh, Mark Trestman proved to be an absolute disaster and they let him go and they absolutely um, overhauled their roster with Ryan Pace and it took them three years to get back to relevance. The Broncos, I think, need as much time to get back to relevance. So they need a similar coach, in my opinion, that can oversee an, a roster overhaul and given his previous experience and the fact that uh, he grew up in Colorado. Heck, his father um, is in the Colorado Sports Hall of Fame, I believe, for high school football coaching. Uh, Chuck Pagano, I think, would be a good fit to oversee that transition. Yeah, I mean, he's already interviewed there this week. I'm sure he interviewed very well. Um, you know, if they do go with the the young, hot offensive mind, I've heard Zach Taylor, the Rams uh, quarterback coach, is, is another name that's been linked to Denver as well. You know, and that might be a good spot for Vic Fangio to step in and keep that defense humming and bring in an offensive mind to work with him as well. Like, because I agree with you as well that at least on the offensive side of the football, something's got to break there in Denver and it may take a couple of years to get that back to uh, rebuilt to where they're a contender in the AFC West. I agree. And another guy they're looking at is Mike Munchak, who has obviously been the Steelers offensive line coach these past couple years. And if the Broncos want to have a defensive mentality in the trenches and pound the ball offensively, given who they have on their roster right now, uh, if they want that to be their identity, uh, Mike Munchak would be a good fit there, too. Exactly. You know, hard nose, bring that attitude that has definitely been lacking there. And, um, you know, uh, dare I say a complete 180 from Vance Joseph? <laughs> Indeed. And moving on to the Cardinals, do you think Adam Gase is the best possible candidate or are there any other uh, candidates that you think would do a better job with Josh Rosen? You know, um, you know, Zach Taylor's definitely another name that's going to get mentioned there as well. You know, they, they're seeing it right there in their conference, how the Rams were able to elevate the play of their young quarterback and may try to emulate it that way. So I think Taylor or Gase is, is somebody where they're really thinking hard about one of those two. You know, Taylor really hasn't even been in that play calling role at all, which kind of makes him a little riskier. And but if you know, if you want that experienced coach who has that one time and he has that experience and can put it behind him and is still young and creative and innovative on offense, I think Gase is the fit there. Yes, and it's going to be an interesting decision as to who the Cardinals bring in, but it definitely has to be an offensive mind given the fact that you have Josh Rosen on your roster on a rookie contract. And the Jets, if Matt Rule decides not to come to the Jets and, uh, we mentioned Adam Gase as a possible candidate for, for the Jets, but uh, given uh, Sam Donald's talent, I think Eric Bieniemy would be a better fit for him. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I just love the idea of Sam Darnold playing in that Andy Reid offense, uh, seeing what Patrick Mahomes has done with that in the, this past year. 
Um, if I, if I'm the jets, I'm thinking, you know, Andy Reed tree is looking very, very good right now. Oh, it's looking even better by the day. And, uh, Matt Nagy has been even better than advertised. And Andy Reed was glowing about his potential even before he became a head coach. So, uh, Andy Reed's legacy of that coaching tree is probably going to end up getting Andy Reed in the hall of fame one day, especially if he ends up winning that elusive Super Bowl ring. <laughs> Exactly. And, and you know, Offensive Minds, another name that I've heard connected to the Jets is um, former Texas Tech head coach Cliff Kingsbury. Who oh, had that would be great. Yeah. Had a cup of tea with the Jets back in the day as well. So, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a connection there with the green and white. So um, that's an interesting name to throw into the mix. Um, so, yeah, there's there's um but again, I th- I think the trend we're we're really turning more towards those offensive minded coaches um, because the league really you know when you've got that young quarterback you've really got to maximize that asset there and that's what it you're seeing the success of the teams that have done that and that success I only expect to continue given as I alluded to earlier the increasing influence of college football on these NFL offensive schemes and the Packers you have Aaron Rodgers uh, down to uh, four or five years at best dare I say and who do who do they look after well I think I would go for the offensive coordinator who's mined the most talent out of an aging quarterback and look to New England and Josh McDaniels and hopefully he'll uh, show up there and you know, lock him down until he puts his name on the paper and don't let him get out of there like the Colts did. And it turned out to be a blessing in disguise for the Colts that he opted out. But I don't think the Packers are going to be as fortunate because there is no uh, Frank Wright type candidate out there, in my opinion. So uh, Josh McDaniels, I think, would absolutely make the most sense in Green Bay. And the Cincinnati Bengals... I cannot think of an underwhelming coaching search than the Bengals. After letting go Marvin Lewis after 16 years, uh, several years overdue, by the way, Hugh Jackson and Vance Joseph are your top two candidates? <laughs> what are you thinking? Oh, my God. You know, if, if they're trying a two-year tank to get, you know, to compile a bunch of top draft picks, maybe that's the way to go. But other than that, oh, my God. You know, I, I just can't imagine that anybody putting those two on their head coaching list but you know on the other hand there's been more candidates coming out and saying they're not interested in the Bengals than you know the candidates linked to the team yes the Broncos might have the worst of organizational ownership structure but the Bengals might have the worst long-term roster outlook right now because uh, Andy Dalton is getting old and I think we've seen his best you know what you're getting from him and it's not good enough to win a Super Bowl AJ Green is getting long in the tooth too and uh, the only surefire cornerstone on your offense going forward is Joe Mixon and you look at that defense all the main guys are getting all that Vontaze Burfecht might have to retire to his concussions they might need a complete roster overhaul so that's why I kind of get them going after Vance Joseph or Hugh Jackson because their prior experience with that organization to oversee this uh, transition yeah and but you know if they if they really want to build a winner you know the only way they're going to get somebody who's 
talented, innovative, exciting, and willing to go to Cincinnati is maybe getting somebody who's, you know, not one of those top candidates, a younger guy who hasn't had that opportunity. And, uh, you know, again, look to the Rams. I brought up Zach Taylor, but Shane Waldron as well. You know, these, these young innovators who, you know, are maybe willing to take, hey, I'll even take Cincinnati if it's a chance to get my foot in the door as a head coach. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting uh, remainder of that search. And last but not least, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who parted ways with Dirk Cutter. And this is the uh, third head coaching hire that Jason Light will make. Uh, Jason Light should have gotten fired along with Dirk Cutter, in my opinion. But I don't know what Tampa's doing there. But in terms of the head coaching search, uh, Benjamin Albright also reported that the Buccaneers' ownership wants to lure Bruce Arians out of retirement, but Bruce Arians reportedly said he would only consider the Browns' job, and assuming he does not get the Browns' job, and that goes to Mike McCarthy, I think he got to look for his red-hot protege, Freddie Kitchens. Yeah, I mean, I don't see why not. You know, you're going to need somebody to to get Jameis Winston. They're apparently sticking with him. Um, so you're going to need that offensive mind to to get the talent out of Winston that he showed he had coming out of college and is only shown in flashes here. So somebody's going to have to extract that talent. I'm, you know, again, I, I look at Tampa Bay and I go, oh, my God, they could be the ones to bring in Jim Caldwell there and say, hey, we made the safe move. And, oh, I certainly hope not. I want to see, you know, innovative, exciting um, you know, somebody to revitalize that that team and, and look outside the box, look into the, you know, the college ranks, see what you can find for someone. But um, ooh, I, I, I worry about Tampa Bay being one of those teams that's going to somehow figure out a way to to screw this up. Me too. And you mentioning Jim Caldwell as that candidate for the Bucks almost had me on the edge of literally vomiting. I'm not kidding. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so emotionally attached to football, it's not funny. And now we're on to wildcard weekend and let's break down these four matchups, starting with the first of the four uh, tomorrow at 4.45 Eastern Time. The Indianapolis Colts traveling back to Houston to take on the Houston Texans. And when you, if you look at this Texans team and they split uh, both matchups this year with the road team each winning once, uh, what make it's going to make it a little bit harder for the Texans this time around is outside of DeAndre Hopkins, they don't have that many receiving weapons outside of him. With you got Demarius Thomas down for the year with that Achilles injury, and obviously Will Fuller towards ACL in late October. So how will the lack of receiving weapons outside of DeAndre Hopkins hinder the Texans' offense, even against a Colts secondary that's not necessarily known for being elite? Yeah, I mean, I, I think for Houston, they're going to have to look at, you know, and this is something Deshaun Watson doesn't always want to do as he loves taking that deeper shot down the field and, and escaping in the pocket, extending plays, but being disciplined and, and using Lamar Miller in the passing game as an extension of the running game, uh, focusing focusing in on the tight end position, Ryan Griffin as well, and incorporating those players into that uh, offensive structure, which they haven't done a great job of doing so far this season. But if you're going to beat the Colts, if you're playing a team for the third time, um, you're going to have to come out and mix things up a little. And that's one way that if they can be consistent, 
and ball control and move the ball in the short passing game. You know, I, I've always said with Lamar Miller at running back, he's chronically underused in the passing game. He was excellent in that role in Miami. And since he's gone to Houston, he's been nothing but a but a pure runner and, you know, an occasional outlet back. They've got to start incorporating him into the passing game uh, to take advantage of maybe a, a mismatch on a linebacker if they're going to be able to consistently attack that Indianapolis defense, which is we've seen is growing by leaps and bounds as the season goes on. Uh, yes, and uh, if the Colts uh, lose this game, I fully expect Matt Eberflus to get some interviews. Oh, definitely. There's a, you know, talk about, you know, if you're looking for somebody that's got leadership ability and ability to turn things around, there's a candidate right there. Oh, you said it, and I think those passing game weapons that you're referring to are going to have to be the two rookie tight ends in Jordan Akins and Jordan Thomas. Exactly. Again, you know, two tight end sets, um, you know, take advantage of an extra linebacker on the field. However, they're able to do that with those those tight heck, go three tight ends. What do I care? You know, show them something they haven't seen too much of on tape. Uh, it's it's time for Bill O'Brien to to get a little creative with that offense there in Houston if they're going to advance in the playoffs. Oh, I completely agree. But speaking of DeAndre Hopkins, and a spoiler alert, uh, a New Year's resolution that I made, we here at Sports Crunch are no longer going to stick to sports anymore. Not anymore. We just can't. We are going to have some episodes completely unrelated to football and completely unrelated to sports altogether this year. So just uh, look out for those. It's uh, it's just a New Year's resolution I made because in these uh, tough and exponentially challenging times that we're facing as a society... Um, I just cannot be silent on this platform about them. I, I just can't. So there's your spoiler alert. And DeAndre Hopkins knows he can't be silent, even as a all-pro NFL wide receiver, as he announced on Thursday that he will be dedicating this game to Jasmine Barnes, a seven-year-old girl who was killed in a drive-by shooting in the Houston area uh, over the weekend. And Nuke will be donating this week's game check to the Barnes family in order to help pay for the funeral costs. And if I'm the Colts, I would not discount the fact that this heartbreaking story that touched Hopkins so much on a personal level has the potential to make him go absolutely gangbusters on Saturday, uh, no matter who is lining up opposite him in that receiving core. He's playing for Jasmine's memory and her family. Would you have that same mindset if you were the Colts secondary? Like, we're a, a facing a guy that could go gangbusters because he, he's been touched emotionally by something and he's going to play with a lot of passion. Yeah, you can never discount the passion on the on the field and the effect that that can have on a on a team on a you know just in that whole area one player lifting that team up and a lot of times in the playoffs sometimes it's just that attitude of one player that picks everyone up around him and carries that team forward and so I definitely wouldn't discount that in this situation as well because he's got the offensive ability to back it up Oh, he most certainly does. And with that extra emotional motivation he's going to have, uh, not just playing for the Texas, but playing for a grieving community as well. Exactly. And, and you know, and that's, you know, and look, if, you, if you're going to attack the Colts this year on a defense, you know, you have to attack that secondary because outside of Malik Hooker, they have very good players 
but they lack that great shutdown cornerback. They lack that game changer, and that's somewhere that you can look at as an opportunity to take advantage of Indianapolis. Oh, absolutely. And by the way, um, I just want to say to DeAndre Hopkins, God bless you. You are a true patriot in every sense of the word, and uh, you're a social justice warrior as well. We thank you for speaking out on this issue. And to the Jasmine Barnes and her family, may she rest in peace and may she not have died in vain in the long run. We just have to honor her memory by making this world a better place so we have fewer and fewer of these heartbreaking tragedies particularly against uh, young kids of color every single year in this country. And speaking of mismatches between receiving and secondary, a matchup that I'm concerned about is the Colts receiving options, even with T.Y. Hilton hobbled, going against that Texan secondary, especially those corners. They lost two of their main corners for the season. I'd be very worried. Oh, definitely. And, and, you know, this this is you know, possibly one of the higher scoring games because of that. This could break out into a shootout at any time with these quarterbacks and these secondaries. And and in Houston, we've seen it, um, you know, even earlier in the season, we saw Indianapolis taking advantage of that secondary and, uh, you know, uh, Andrew Luck taking advantage of matchups where he gets rookie Justin Reed uh, in coverage there and burning them for some big plays. So for Houston, I've got to be very concerned about that secondary and the way that offensive line blocks in uh, Indianapolis. It's not a given that even with Jadavian Clowney and J.J. Watt and uh, uh, McKinney that you're going to be getting consistent pressure. Oh, you most definitely are going to be getting consistent pressure, but against that uh, Colts offensive line with Ryan Kelly expected to be back this season, that's not going to be an easy task because Andrew Luck's getting rid of the ball so goddamn fast. He gets rid of the ball fast, and when he needs to hold it, that line has held up for him this year. It's, um, you know, they've been fantastic. And it, it just watching them block in the running game, it, it's poetry in motion there. So uh, it, it's a very, very interesting matchup uh, between two teams that are very familiar with each other, and uh, both will be looking at ways that they can take advantage of each other uh, that they didn't in those first two games. Yeah, and you just kind of made a case for Quentin Nelson to be Offensive Rookie of the Year. And even though it's rarely, if ever, given to an offensive lineman, if there was an, a performance by a rookie offensive lineman that would warrant that honor, this would be it with Quentin Nelson this year. Oh, my God. I mean, he is just so much fun to watch. <laughs> I, the way he pulls and just clears paths with these running backs, he's just a, a one-man wrecking machine. I mean, I, I was watching him last, you know, last week on tape, and he's, you know, he doesn't just clear out the, his blocker. He's taking a blocker or somebody else behind him and pushing him into a, a linebacker. And I'm going, my God, he takes out three guys on one play. He's inhuman. Oh, yeah, he is a monster. And plus, he at like over 320 some pounds, he has a freaking six pack. That guy is unreal. <laughs> yeah, when he gets ahead of the running back blocking, he doesn't have to worry about the running back passing him. He is an athletic wonder up on the offensive line. And and I think, you know, can we finally end the debate about teams taking interior offensive linemen high in the draft? Because I think this year we've silenced any of those critics out there. 
Oh, absolutely. The interior offensive line is becoming equally as valuable as tackles, according to a scout that I spoke with last year at the Senior Bowl, and Quent Nelson is further proof of that. And let's uh, predict this game. I think it's going to be very, very close, but I think those... uh, Injuries in the secondary for the Texans and the receiving core outside DeAndre Hopkins are going to end up uh, biting the Texans in the end, plus the fact their offensive line is leaky. It's going to be a very close game until the final minute, but I see the Colts winning 23-20. to Yeah, I've got it a close game as well. I've gone back and forth in my head 17 times on this one. Ah. You know, I'm just going to give the three points to the home team, and I'm going to say it's Houston 26-23 to over Indianapolis. And the second of the two Saturday matchups, the Seahawks traveling to Jerry World to take on the Cowboys. And these teams are also pretty evenly matched, and there's kind of uh, subtle battles that are going to be most decisive in this game. Is it the battle between quarterbacks, between Russ Wilson and Dak Prescott, the battle between the two defenses, or the battle between the two ground games that are excellent with the Seahawks and Chris Carson? Uh, Chris Carson, he's turned out to be beast mode 2.0. I just still don't get why the, the Seahawks wasted that first round draft pick on Rashad Penny when they had Chris Carson. <laughs> oh my God, what were they thinking? They have a stud in Chris Carson. He's one of my favorite players to watch every single Sunday. So, which of those battles do you think will be most decisive in this game? The battle between the two quarterbacks, the two defenses, or the two ground games? Oh, I think it's going to be the two ground games. I think it's it's going to be, you know, whoever can uh, – keep that other team off the field, whoever can control the ball. And then I I trust both of these quarterbacks to convert red zone opportunities into touchdowns. So it's going to be the ground games that pick up those, those tough yardage situations, those, you know, those third and ones, those fourth and ones, the, you know, those running downs, third and three, second and one, that they're going to be able to convert and extend those drives and get those quarterbacks into position to take advantage of it in the red zone. Oh, I agree. And what do you think will be the game deciding one-on-one matchups in this game? Well, you know, I think for Seattle, you know, once Dallas is in that red zone, they're going to have to find a way to, to, to cover up Amari Cooper because he is that kind of wide receiver who has made such a huge difference to that Dallas offense, which I will come out and say, I did not think that he would be able to be that kind of difference maker. And I was completely wrong and he completely is. And so if they can't stop him in the red zone, if they can't stop him uh, in the passing game at all, and, and you know, he starts taking over games like he did a few times already, Uh, that's the biggest individual matchup there for Seattle is finding one of those, you know, cornerbacks to be able to get up in his face, not allow him to get off the line of scrimmage easily and be able to slow him down. So whether it's Shaquille Griffin or, you know, uh, rookie Trey Flowers on the other side, somebody in Seattle and those and those safeties are going to be there knocking the ball loose and getting him off his spot. That's going to be the biggest matchup right there. Oh, it absolutely is. Amari Cooper, in terms of the weapons of the passing game, he's the best one in this game by far, in my opinion. I don't mean to disrespect Doug Baldwin, and Baldwin looks like he's back to his old self, but Amari Cooper, uh, he's younger and more dynamic than, than Doug Baldwin, and I'm a big, big Doug Baldwin fan. And who do you have winning this game, which I think is going to be very close as well? 
Yeah, I have it a close game as well. Um, I think Seattle, um, you know, when it when I talked about those those tough, tough yards, I like Ezekiel Elliott, but he's not always the toughest running back inside the tackles when you need that one yard. I'm going to give that edge to Chris Carson, and I'm going to give the edge to Seattle 20-17 to 17 over Dallas. I have gone back and forth on this. This is literally a flip of the coin, like uh, I believe – the, the next two games are as well, as I alluded to early in the program. But yes, Amari Cooper is the better wide receiver than all the receiving weapons in this game. But it's going to be decided on the ground. But at the end of the day, these quarterbacks are going to have to make plays. And I trust Russell Wilson to make plays far more than I trust Dak Prescott. Seahawks 24, Cowboys 20. And a rematch from... A week 16 Saturday night game in Carson, California, as the Chargers travel to Baltimore to face on the Baltimore Ravens, the league's uh, uh, number one total defense, dare I say. And the two best defenses in the league are going to be playing on Sunday. So if you like defense, Sunday is your day for wildcard weekend. And when you look at the Chargers, they have a advantage in this game and a disadvantage in this game as well. What do you think is bigger? The Chargers' advantage of playing the Ravens for a second time in three weeks, or the Chargers having to play a 1 p.m. Eastern time game on the East Coast? Well, I, you know, it's it's hard to say for the Chargers because they've done so well on the road this year, and you know they're they're really the the homeless team of the NFL so far this year until Oakland takes that role next year, I guess. But um, you know, even playing at home. It seems like every week their their home fans have been outnumbered. So traveling east, you know, the the early start time, I don't think that's going to be as big a problem for the Chargers um, as it as it could be. But you know, the advantage of seeing this running game in Baltimore twice and and recently as well. You know, it was only a couple of weeks ago. That should be the advantage, but. You know, then again, you know, they played Baltimore and it wasn't much of a surprise what Baltimore was going to do. And they still pounded the ball um, 361 yards of total offense against the Chargers in that game. Oh, you said it. And uh, plus the Chargers are flying in on Friday night uh, to Baltimore. So I think their bodies will be more than ready to play a 1 p.m. Eastern time game on the East Coast. And what is the main thing the Chargers have to do on both sides of the ball uh, better than their previous rendezvous with the Ravens in order to come out with the victory? Well, on, on the defensive side, they have to focus. You're going to see Baltimore has all of those different concepts of movement in that running game. And you're, you're seeing jet sweep action on almost every other play. There's somebody moving somewhere. And I thought Baltimore in the last matchup did a good job with the play action and, and getting Jackson outside and using his arm uh, to supplement that running game, which um, which I don't think the Chargers really expected to see. So they've got to be a little more disciplined on that defensive side. Um, and on the other side of the ball, I, I think the biggest matchup for the Chargers is that the inside of that offensive line. And, and we've seen uh, Michael Schofield, who I'm sure you're familiar with coming from Denver and, um, 
Oh, you know, and, and Dan Feeney, second year guard, those two um, on the, uh, both sides of Mike Pouncey have really struggled at times this year. And against, uh, you know, against Baltimore, you're looking at, you know, <laughs> Zadarius Smith there who could just come in and just blow both of those guys up and completely disrupt that Chargers passing and running game. Oh, you said it, and I think that was one of the main deciding factors uh, in that last matchup, how that Ravens defensive front just bullied the interior offensive line of the Chargers. And for game-deciding matchups, that's the first thing I'm looking at. Uh, any other matchups you're looking at? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, that's a big one as well. And, you know, you know, Baltimore, if, if those cornerbacks, you know, You've got those veteran cornerbacks. You know, you've got Brandon Carr out there. Um, you know, Tavon Young, a very younger cornerback, who plays some safety as well. Marlon Humphrey. If, if they can match up with those big Chargers receivers, th- that's a big game deciding uh, matchup right there. Because if Rivers starts getting the ball to to Mike Williams and Tyrell Williams, and we all know what Keenan Allen can do, obviously, um, they can make they can be a headache for any defense they did a great job of slowing them down the last time and that's a matchup they're gonna have to do that again this week with all three of those dangerous receivers for the chargers oh absolutely and they're gonna have to win their battles consistently against that stingy raven secondary dare i say indeed and and that is a stingy secondary and it's you know um it's one of those secondaries where individually you look at the players and you say, well, you know, they're not the, the, the greatest, most, you know, shut down group. But as a unit with those safeties and Eric Weddle leading the charge there, the, that experienced veteran who's still very athletic, even into his early 30s, he's got that whole group seeing the same thing, responding the same way and not making mental mistakes. And that's part of what makes them so dangerous in Baltimore. You said it. And uh, who do you have winning this game? Uh, Well, again, I think it's going to be a close one, but I think Baltimore's defense is going to be able to force the Chargers into enough mistakes. I think it'll be a couple of key turnovers, and I don't think the Chargers will be able to pull their way out of that. And I've got the Ravens winning it 20-17. to I disagree. I think the Chargers... Uh, having faced the Ravens two weeks earlier, are going to come out with a better game plan, and the experience playing them before is going to give them a leg up, and I think they pull out an ugly 17-16 victory on the road in Baltimore, especially considering the fact that they've been road dogs this year, and uh, what's the opposite of a road dog is a home, uh, I don't want to say home cat, or uh, home, <laughs> what, whatever. Home parakeet. There we go. Home parakeet. Yeah, that's it. They've been home parakeets, but road dogs. And the road dogs are going to come out with another victory. And last but not least, the defending Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles were able to get into the playoffs because the Chicago Bears were able to help them in with a win over the Minnesota Vikings last Sunday. And as a result of that, the Eagles traveled to Chicago to face the Bears. Matt Nagy, the potential NFL head coach of the year, going up against his mentor, Doug Peterson. And regardless of the outcome of this game, regardless of the outcome of this game, uh, don't think of whether they win or lose. Just uh, look at this issue by itself, regardless of the outcome. Do you think the Bears were dumb to not bench their starters early in the game against the Vikings? I mean... 
I'm going to say yes, because I was the one last week saying the Bears should throw the game so that they can make sure that they get the Vikings and not have to play the Eagles. So, yes, I'm going to say that. (laughs) Uh, We shall see. But I'm going to take the opposite side to that just to be devil's advocate. I don't really have a true opinion one way or the other. But there's something about momentum heading into the playoffs. Like you want to be playing your best heading into the playoffs. You uh, don't want to necessarily uh, rest your starters unless you really have to. And for a portion of uh, that game, the Bears had to play for something and they had to get some guys ready like Kyle Long was coming back last week and they just wanted to make sure um, all the uh, Ducks were in a row before the playoffs. And I think uh, they made sure they were and I think that was worthwhile. Yeah, you know, on one hand, you know, you you can argue that point that momentum coming into the playoffs and it's hard in the NFL sometimes to stop and start again. And we've seen it with teams in the divisional round coming out of the that that bye week and teams coming off a bye week in the regular season that you can dig yourself a hole just by being rusty coming out of the start and, and not converting on a few third downs and giving up a quick score. And uh, not be and in the playoffs, you know, every possession is so vital that you may not be able to dig your way out of that. Yeah. And when you look at the Bears uh, chances on Sunday, uh, you have to fully expect their defense to go all out, uh, especially at home. But uh, I think the chances for the Bears are right on their offense, believe it or not, in this game, because they're going to need their offense to make its fair share of plays to counter um, what whatever plays Nick Foles makes. And uh, Nick Foles is obviously going to get his uh, at some point in the game. But who is more important on that Bears offense in order to win on Sunday? Is it Mitchell Trubisky or is it Jordan Howard? I kind of think it's Jordan Howard. Yeah, I, I think the Bears are going to have to come out and they're going to have to make Philadelphia respect that running game. And, you know, Philadelphia, for all their problems on defense this year, which has mostly been that secondary and in the passing game, um, they've been pretty stout against the run so far this year. And I think for the Bears, uh, you know, loosening up that front, getting getting some yards on the ground against Philadelphia is going to be very, very important uh, in order to do that. And if you look at the last two teams that beat the Eagles, that spend the Cowboys twice in New Orleans, and in both situations, yeah, they might have thrown for a lot of yards, but they pounded that ball against Philadelphia consistently throughout the game. And that's what really let them take advantage of that secondary and and win those games against the Eagles. So if I'm the Bears, I'm thinking that's going to be a, a key role in, in their offense is getting Howard on track early and often and loosen up that Philadelphia defense for some big plays down the field and, and just make life easier for Trubisky. And the fact that Kyle Long is back in this game uh, gives the Bears a pretty good chance to do that oh yeah i mean that that's that's a huge matchup there and you know anytime you can get two brothers going up against each other in the trenches that's gonna be fun (laughs) it is and uh howie long and his wife are probably gonna be the most nervous wrecks in america on sunday oh oh my gosh i can't even imagine (laughs) oh i absolutely can't imagine but uh the long family has been one of my all-time favorite families in the history of the nfl and football in general and uh, chris and kyle aren't just great players they're great citizens and Patriots as well. And uh, I salute both of them and I wish them all the best, both of them in this game and going forward in their careers and lives as well. 
And when you look at the Eagles, outside of Nick Foles, who has essentially uh, rediscovered his uh, championship form uh, late in the year when he uh, was uh, called back to the starting job to replace uh, the injured Carson Wentz, who else has been the key to the Eagles' late-season turnaround? Well, part of that has been, you know, Josh Adams and company being able to make an impact in the running game because when Jay Ajayi went out, that Eagles offense really sputtered without being able to run the football. And that was such a big underrated part of their offense last year was their ability to run the football uh, and pick up, you know, those chunks of yards and and tough yardage inside and, and force those linebackers up to allow Foles to make those plays down the field like he did. And those RPOs, that first part of it is the run. And that's where the Eagles are going to have a find somebody, whether it's Smallwood, whether it's Adams, however they can get the ball, because that Bears defense has not allowed anybody to run on them all year. And the Eagles are going to need to be able to run the ball to win that game. Well, the Eagles are definitely going to have to run the ball as well. But given the fact that Doug Peterson and Matt Nagy run basically the same offense, heck, it's going to be RPO City for both offenses on Sunday. Uh, Does that kind of imply to you that this could be a defensive battle because these defenses know what they're going up against schematically? Well, it, it, it's going to be a defensive battle just because it's got the Bears in it to start with. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's always tough when you've got two teams that are that are in that same system that know what the other team is doing uh, off on both sides of the ball and can easily practice against it all week. So it's it's an interesting matchup that way, and it's going to be interesting to see though. You know, it's going to come down to which teams are executing the as best as possible in that you know when they're running both rpos all right we know both teams can pass the ball effectively and uh, which team's going to run that ball it's still coming back to that to me as the biggest matchup for these two teams who are you know familiar with each other and who comes out on top in what i believe is the uh like 30th some anniversary of the Fog Bowl in which the Eagles played the Bears in the fog in the playoffs uh, back in the day. Uh, who do you who do you think comes out on the Fog Bowl anniversary? I I think the Bears. You know, are, I I just don't see how Philadelphia is going to be able to to run the ball and a one dimensional defense against this Bears defensive front seven is a recipe for a disaster. I see this as the only game that's a blowout of the week, and I have the Bears winning it 31-17. to 17. Oh my goodness. I actually kind of disagree with you. The Bears season has not been a fluke at all. Matt Nagy looks like the real deal. Mitchell Trubisky looks like he's improving every single week, playing more efficient football, and he's only going to add to that repertoire in this offense uh, going forward. But the experience factor matters in the playoffs. And the, a Bears team with literally almost no playoff experience in the past going up against the Super Bowl champs, the experience factor makes my heart say the Eagles pull out a squeaker 22-19 to victory. And uh, we shall see which one of us is uh, right there. And uh, Wild Card Weekend Bowl predictions, starting with you, Hal. What is your bowl prediction for Wild Card Weekend? 
Well, my bold prediction is Mitch Trubisky. He's coming out, and this is his coming out party. If I'm going to predict him to score 31 points, we're going to see four of those touchdowns come from the arm of Mitch Trubisky. Four touchdowns, no interceptions, over 375 yards passing. This is going to be the everyone knows Mitch weekend. Oh, that's uh, pretty bold indeed. And here's my bold prediction. It might not seem bold to you, but uh, the the whole uh, narrative uh, might. Uh, Darius Leonard has three and a half sacks against the Texans, one extra tackle for a loss, and a forced fumble which sets up the game-winning field goal in the final seconds by Adam Vinatieri, all but clinching him Defensive Rookie of the Year honors. Ooh, I yeah, I like that. The one-man wrecking machine. I can see that. That's that's a nice, bold prediction. I like it, David. What a gem Darius Leonard's turned out to be. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, second-round pick. Oh, God. And last but not least, we conclude our Wild Card Weekend preview with our challenge flags. What is your challenge flag, Hal? Well, you know, I mean, I think I kind of covered my original thought when we talked about the teams hiring coaches here on Wild Card Weekend and, you know, be bold, you know, find that next young offensive mind to lead your team. So I'm, I'm going to turn this around and I'm going to go to, you know, Andrew Luck and the, and the Colts. I'm picking against you this week, um, but I am going to say that you the challenge is laid down to you. Uh, you could go out there and throw the ball on this Houston Texans secondary. So Andrew Luck, put that team on your shoulders. If you have to throw the ball 50 times to get this W, air it out. Let's make all of America see how strong that arm is. Um, and that shoulders back to a hundred percent and see if you can lead your team back into the divisional round. And my challenge flag goes to the team I picked against or one of the Two teams. We all picked against teams. Man, I'm mumbling. Uh, It goes to another team I picked against, and that is the Chicago Bears. Play with that mindset of if you want to be the champs, you have to beat the champs. That mindset could take you a long way to earning a victory against the Eagles on Sunday, and doing so will help you prove how... And Lewis Riddick of ESPN, who has predicted the Bears to be the NFC representative in the Super Bowl, dare I say, correct, and myself, wrong. So Bears, play with that mindset of if you want to be the champs, you have to beat the champs. And he is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen. You can follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. You can catch his work covering the entire NFL at FullPressCoverage.com. And if you're a Patriots fan and want to read his Patriots-themed articles, go to MusketFire.com and BostonSportPage.com. Hal Bent. The ride is only beginning. Buckle up, man. It's going to be wild. Enjoy your weekend. You too, David. I'm looking forward to a great start of the second season here as the playoffs kick off. And we got some great matchups. Can't wait. Can't wait either, Hal. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But Hal and I will be back next week to preview divisional round week and arguably the best weekend of football on the entire football calendar, college or pro. So stay tuned. And meanwhile, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that's Crunch with a K, where we have a lot of exciting stuff planned. Uh, for this offseason and the draft so please please stay tuned not only are you going to get some amazing NFL draft information from this program you're going to get to help out a great cause and uh, we definitely want you to know about it and help out uh, if you possibly can and also if you enjoy these podcast episodes please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal 
For Hal Bent, our producer Chris Broadhead, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome.